Oh, man. It's been a while. It has. Welcome to the pre-show. Yes, welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to uh, the 2022-23 season. I always feel that uh, September is more of a new year than January. It feels more of a, a new beginning. It's been years since I've been in school, but it, I don't know. What do you What do you think about September? September is uh, September is a very busy time. September is um, back at this the podcast. September is back to school. Yeah, uh, not necessarily for my kids, but for my wife. Uh huh. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, September is the start of the fall. Yeah. How's that? Or autumn. Yeah. Autumn. Yeah, no, you're right. I was going to ask you what uh, what shows have you seen this summer, and so I'm going through my calendar to see if I could. Uh, this summer we saw the beaches at History. How was that show? I was out of town. It was an amazing show. It was an amazing show, and um, nice. And uh, History is an unbelievable venue. That was your first time. Okay. No, I think USS was our first time. My USS. first time, okay. not ours. Yeah. My first time. Yeah. Um, yeah, the venue, you can tell the venue was created by a musician. Talk to me about that. Why, 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 do, you, why do you feel because that? Because I don't know if there's a bad sight line in the place. Sure. Well, it's um, small enough to not have a bad sight line, right? Yeah, but I think it's the way it's, but you also, really, I mean, that's, that's like, that seems like almost like a full size stage in a smaller ish room. Sure. Sure. It's not yeah. like small stage at the front, big back. It's like big stage and around the big stage. So there's yeah. not really a bad sight line. Like you could stay on side stage and still see everything. Yeah. Uh, the sound is amazing. Yes. The sound is crystal clear. The sound's not too loud. Like the both shows that I went to, it wasn't yeah. overly loud, which is nice. Okay, that's good. As my tinnitus rings in my ear right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, so history's, history's been my biggest surprise, I'd say. Yeah, we went to see July Talk there. Yeah. And uh, we stayed like at the back of the room uh, only because you know, we were still concerned about COVID, um, right. you know, which was different than going to the Pearl Jam show last week when uh, nobody was concerned about, uh, about nobody. COVID. COVID, the, uh, is, COVID is gone, apparently. Yes. Tell that to my brother who's just getting over his first bout. I know somebody that just got it the other day and... Uh, their first time too and um no but covid's gone just ask doug ford covid's gone yeah no we don't have to worry about numbers anymore (laughs) we don't have to worry about safety um yeah you can go back to work after two days which is awesome yeah for sure for sure but um excellent so you had a great concert i had a great concert i feel like we didn't go to too many shows i mean i saw some live music in europe you know just on the streets and you know, but uh, saw a great, like, rock orchestra. 
in in Florence. Um, that was a lot of fun. Cool. Just just in one of the main squares, walking walking home one evening, and whoop! That that sounds like a song I know. And uh, yeah, it was just fantastic. Neat. Yeah. That's great. Looking forward to more new music and uh, some amazing guests. Got some great guests coming up this year, which is awesome. Yeah. Season. And we'll, we'll talk with Alan. Alan's going to be here in a few minutes. Alan Cross, ongoing history of new music. Your thoughts very quickly on Arcade Fire's lead singer. His response reminded me of another musician, John Gameshi. John Gameshi. Huh. His response was. But the allegations are very, allegations are very different. It's the response. Sure. That was similar. Yeah. And the response was. Everything that happened was consensual, but I'm really sorry if it hurt anybody. Generally, that's that's generally what was said. I'm generalizing. I am <laughs> yeah, paraphrasing yeah. extremely. Yes. 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 But uh, now I don't know. Were you ever a fan of Arcade Fire? I seem to think no. No, I like Arcade Fire for sure. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't a huge fan of Arcade Fire. Yeah, I was. Ha- I was very happy with their success in the U.S. and globally. Yeah, as a Canadian artist. Yeah, Canadian band. Um, I. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan, but I always, I, I did like their music for sure. Yeah. You said that in like past tense. You did. So well, I, I wanna- like the music. Yeah, I mean, cur- we, we've had this conversation. How many yeah. times have we had this conversation? And we will continue guests? to have it. Yeah, we'll continue to have that conversation. Talk about Michael Jackson, right? Like, yeah. Like, can you separate the love of the art yeah. from the creepiness of the person? And to each their own, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's a personal, it's for sure a personal thing. It's not yeah. even to each, it, yeah, I mean, it is to each their own, but it's, it's, it's more complex than that. It's very much each person's decision on whether they can do that or not. And I totally understand the people that can't like, I totally understand that. Yeah. I, I, I don't fault anybody for that. Some of the best shows, live shows I've been to have been arcade fire shows. They really know how to get a stadium crowd or even an arena crowd. Actually, I've never seen them in a stadium, but arena they know how to get an arena crowd jumping and hopping for sure. Yeah, it'll be, it will be interesting. They're still on tour. There's still thousands of people that are, that are going to their shows. Yep. And uh, at the same time, you know, musicians like Feist have, I think she played one show with them and then decided, you know, not to. I thought her response was quite interesting. And it was something I'm going to paraphrase again, but I'm going to be a sure. little less general than the last time. And her response was, 
I can't help by being here. I can't help by leaving. I just know I can't be here. And again, I'm probably, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering it, but essentially it's. Oh, very well, interesting. Yeah, yeah. If I, if I stay, I can't help. If I go, I can't help. I'm not going to do nothing. Nothing's going to change because of it, but I just know that I sure. can't be here. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a way, you know, again, we talk about separating the artist, their music and their personal life. Yeah, she said, I can't solve that by quitting and I can't solve it by staying, but I can't continue. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yes. That's way, it's, more, way more eloquent than I put it. Yeah, well, that, those are the actual words. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, let's uh, get on with uh, the show and the music. And that's the pre-show. That's the pre-show. Sometimes that's that's the thing I forget to do. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done that with like guests though, or just yourself? David Bowie. Tell me about wow. that. Like what? Okay, so norm normally, normally we'd wait and start the show, but go ahead, please do. <laughs> um, I was invited to talk to him back in 1990. I had him all to myself for 30 minutes. I was so flustered by the whole thing that I forgot to unpause my tape recorder. And when so, you have 30 minutes with him. Mm -hmm. At what point do you realize that? At you... the end. Oh, no. After he left. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then I met him later and I explained what happened. This was years later. Um, and he put his hand on my shoulder and he looked me in the eye and said, well, that was stupid of you, wasn't it? <laughs> Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, sometimes it's good to just have those conversations that it's just, you know, it was shared just between the two of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what he said. Not a clue because I was so starstruck by the so, whole thing. But yeah. uh, anyway, <laughs> I haven't made that mistake again since. Wow. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi, I'm Alan Cross from the Ongoing History of New Music, and you are listening to Welcome to the Music. Welcome, 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 Alan. It's it's honestly it's a pleasure to have you on here. Um, I, I want to start off with your thoughts about uh, we're gonna. I know we're gonna talk about CFNY and the spirit and stuff, but um, I'm sure it'll come up. I, I remember one night, and and I say this because just a couple of months ago was the anniversary. I remember one night I was getting ready for bed, and my wife said to me, and I can't remember whether it'd be probably maybe before Facebook Messenger, but Facebook ICQ MS Messenger, whatever it was. And she said, uh, Earl's trying to, Jive's, Jive's trying to ping you, to message you. And I thought, oh, okay. So I went up and he told me about the passing of Martin Street. Oh, okay. And so, so I know this is sort of, I, I'm hoping it's, we turn this more into a positive, but what I'd love 
to start off and just get your your thoughts and your views of you know Martin and his influence on sort of Toronto radio and and that if you don't mind. Well, okay, um, Martin was one of the very first people I met when I moved here in 1986. I was the overnight person. Martin at the time was running the video road show. Uh, I was making no money at the time. I was working six days a week, making $17,500 a year. And um, the way that we were able to make extra money as announcers was by doing video road shows. So at seventeen five a year, I did as many of these video road shows as I possibly could. So I was out with Martin quite a bit, uh, Fridays and Saturday nights, where wherever I could, wherever I could uh, pick one up. And uh, that's how I got to know him. And uh, later when he took over for Chris Shepard, he became a full-fledged on-air person. And then after that, uh, I ended up becoming his boss when I was promoted to program director of The Edge in, 19, in 2004. So we went through a number of, we'll call them relationships. You know, first it was, I was looking up to him because I was asking him to you know, show me the ropes, really, and, and to break me into the station and the culture and the city and, and everything else. Uh, then we were co-workers, and then I was his boss. And each of those relationships were substantially different from the other. And when I was his boss, I understood that he ended up, he had a lot of, 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 of demons. Uh, he had a lot of problems. Martin was always kind of, he had problems, you know, tax problems. That was a big thing with him for, for a long time. And then um, he fell in with the wrong crowd and there were, there were some drugs involved. And when I was his boss, uh, it, it got pretty bad a couple of times. And I, uh, you know, had to, you know, put him in rehab and had to go pick him up once or twice. And he didn't show up for work a few times, but um, because we went back so far, um, I wasn't allowed, I wasn't about to let him fail. I wasn't, not on my watch. And even though my bosses pressured me to get rid of him because he was a problem, uh, I wouldn't do it because I didn't want to. I knew that if he didn't have the structure of the radio station, that he wouldn't last very long. So I kept him on staff and tried to do as much as I possibly could for him. I don't know. I guess I did fine. Um, I probably obviously could have done more somehow. Um, and then I moved to, uh, into a new job, new guy came in, made some changes and that mm -hmm. those changes included Martin, uh, Martin being terminated. And it was shortly after that, that, uh, my predictions came true and that, mm -hmm. uh, he had, he had died. And it was a Monday night when, uh, the word came down. I got a text from his girlfriend and it was like, Oh no, Oh no, no, no. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, severely missed. He was so popular amongst the staff. He was so popular amongst the the listeners. And Martin had been around for such a long time. Like he started, I think, in 83 or 84. He was helping Earl Jive mm -hmm. as sort of a, like a semi-intern kind of thing. And um, because he had been around for so long and because he was, he had this sort of, Peter Pan persona. He was always this young guy. No matter, he was in his forties, mid forties, but he was still, you know, acting like he was living like he was twenty one or twenty two or twenty three, which was his charm. And um, there were a couple of generations of alternative fans in uh, Southern Ontario 
who went through a rite of passage with Martin, which means as soon as they turned 19, they went to a live to air with Martin. It could have been on a Thursday, could have been on a Friday, could have been on a Saturday, could have been on a Sunday, whenever. And, and Martin became this, this rite of passage for them. So when they died, when he died, um, he affected, that affected an awful lot of people, an awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's way more intimate than I anticipated when I asked the question. So, so thank you. And, and when you talk about his persona, I do remember, um, so we were, I was with an independent band and, and you know, we had one of our independent tapes ready to go. And, and Earl brought us into the listening session where, you know, you listen to the releases and he said, Oh, here's, here's a tape to put on. And so he played our stuff, but whatever, no, that's not the thing, but it was when, um, uh, War Pigs was covered by Faith No More, I think. Yes, was it Faith be, No yeah. More? I think. And and so they played that, and I remember Martin on the floor flopping around like a fish, like just again, just the personality you're talking about. So yeah. um, anyway, I've got goosebumps. Thank you for sharing that. I, re- I really do appreciate it. I really do. So yesterday there was this um, event. Um, Chronic, was it was a chronicling the Toronto rock and roll revival of 69. Yeah. Many people call it the forgotten festival. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if I was intimately aware that this had happened, uh, but it's very interesting to read up on. Um, tell, and, and, and apparently it's, it's a, it was a festival that had a long ranging impact in, in, in music. Yeah. This, um, it was on September 13th, 1969, so 50 years ago. Um, and it was originally billed as an opportunity to see the rock and roll greats of the 1950s. So Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Gene Vincent, Little Richard. Um, but unfortunately, it wasn't selling very well because in 69, these people were considered to be old fashioned and passe. So the hippie generation of, of 69 was not really all that interested, even though Chuck Berry had performed in Toronto in June of that year and had done quite well. Um, when this didn't sell, they brought in the doors as a headliner, still didn't work out. So Monday or Tuesday of the week, the show was on Saturday, the 13th of September, Monday or Tuesday of the week, they only sold 2000 tickets and it looked like they were going to lose their shirts. Uh, a couple of Eaton brothers as in the, department store people had uh, originally funded the whole thing, but they got cold feet pulled out. So uh, John Brower, one of the co-presenters, co-promoters, uh, had some, let's call it alternative financing in place. All right. <laughs> but it still wasn't working. And he it looked like he was going to lose a ton of money and his investors was also going to, were also going to lose a lot of money. So um, on Friday, the 12th of September, uh, the MC for the day, a guy named Kim Fowley, who was a weirdo producer, said, look at, you know, maybe, you know, look at all the, the lineup here with, with all these, these rock and roll greats. These are all John Lennon's heroes. Why don't you call Apple Corps headquarters in London and see if John would come over an MC, if he would just, you know, host the whole thing. So through a series of weird, weird circumstances, uh, John Brower called Apple. He happened to get hold of John Lennon, who was there. This is um, 
at uh, what time is this? This is six thirty on six thirty Friday morning, and eleven thirty London time. He ends up talking to John. John says, "Yeah, this sounds like a really good idea." Now, at that point, John had not played a show, solo show, ever. He had never played a show outside the Beatles. And the last time the Beatles had played was at Candlestick Park in San Francisco in 1966. But John, hearing that all his heroes were going to be at this festival, said, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And then he hangs up the phone and he realizes that he doesn't have a band. So he calls up Eric Clapton. He calls up a young kid who he'd seen playing in a club named Alan White, same Alan White that would later go on to perform in Yes, and his German friend Klaus Wurman on bass, and Yoko. And so, you know, let's let's go. Let's let's you know what we're going to perform. We're going to do this. So the following the next morning, uh, everybody's at the airport except John and Yoko. They're supposed to take a nine o'clock flight to Toronto. This is the day of the show. And they call them and they're still in bed. No, 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 we're not going to go. Send them flowers and say, love John and Yoko. Well, Eric Clapton, who was already at the at the airport with livid, he screamed at John, said, you promised, you promised that you were going to do this. So John is guilted to get out of bed. They rebook the flight for 3.15 that afternoon. They fly over. The four of them are in the very back row of the British Airways 707, uh, rehearsing some songs amidst <laughs> the rest of the passengers and with the roar <laughs> of the jet engines. Uh, they land in Toronto. They end up at Varsity Stadium. John is absolutely almost paralyzed with stage fright. He's eventually persuaded to go on and it turns out okay. It turns out just fine. So um, he goes back and has a meeting with the rest of the Beatles, a regular band meeting. They were they had just finished up Abbey Road. They still had a few more things to do with uh, uh, the Let It Be album. And uh, so the show is on the 13th of September. This band meeting is held one week later on the 20th of September. And uh, John realized that, you know, I don't need the Beatles. The Beatles were on their way to be broken up anyway. And um, John says, okay, lads, uh, I want a divorce. I'm out. Let's just finish everything up and then we'll move on. Everybody goes, okay, that's fine. No problem. But we'll keep it quiet until we get all our albums out and finish up all the business that we have outstanding. Uh, so John, at that point, September 30th, 1969, decided that he was out of the Beatles. But in April, um, Paul McCartney bolts first and releases a solo album and announces his departure uh, before John had a chance to. So long story short here is that this last second phone call, this last second um decision to perform at the Toronto Rock and Roll Revival and this last second victory for John, realizing that he didn't need the Beatles, the rest of the Beatles, uh, contributed, you know, to the breakup of the band. And this is a story that's not really told uh, as, as often or as vehemently as it should be. Usually it's wow. told that Yoko broke up the band. <laughs> yeah, and, which is not true. Yeah. Not true at all. Wow. She what? takes the rap for that. Yeah. She wow. does. Uh, wow. I mean, she, she caused some tension, you know, with, with, with her constant presence, but she wasn't the thing that broke up the Beatles. The Beatles were on their way to breaking up. Yeah. Wow. So this, this Alice Cooper drinking, is it drinking blood from a chicken? Oh, okay. That never happened either. Okay. 
So what happened was Alice Cooper was this, <laughs> this young psychedelic band from Detroit. They weren't getting any kind of traction whatsoever. Uh, they were clearing out clubs in 10 minutes because people hated them so much. But they were what we would call a B-level act or maybe even a C-level act um, brought in for the rock and roll revival because they needed to fill out time during the day. And uh, so they came uh, to Toronto and, you know, this being the 60s, uh, the guitar player um, was touring with two chickens. There was Larry and there was Pecker. And uh, Larry and Pecker would live in the hotel bathrooms. They had a pretty good life. And Larry and Pecker would sometimes accompany the band on stage. So in this one particular night, uh, Larry uh, was on the amplifier and Alice decided, well, the band was still called Alice Cooper. The singer was Vincent Fernier at that time. He hadn't adopted the name Alice Cooper. Um, and he's from Detroit, never been to a farm in his life. That's a bird. It's got feathers. It's got wings. It flies, right? So uh, he grabs Larry off the top of the amp and throws Larry high into the air, expecting Larry to fly away. Well, it's a chicken. So the chicken <laughs> falls into the audience and the audience tears poor Larry oh. apart. Now, at the time, you know, this sort of decadent rock and roll stuff was the thing that, you know, this is what's what your sons and daughters are into. It's, you know, the early versions of the satanic panic. Look what these horrible, horrible hippies are doing. And it very quickly became Alice bit the head off the chicken and drank the chicken's blood, which never happened. And, um, the next day, Alice gets a call from Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa says, did you bite the head off a chicken and drink its blood? And Alice goes, no, of course not. I didn't explain to what happened. And Zappa says, well, don't tell anybody because people love this. This is your thing. So together with that piece of advice and their manager, a guy by the name of Shep Gordon, uh, Alice realized that, oh, maybe our shtick is to become villains to become shock walkers. You know, nobody had been doing anything like this up until then. So Alice went from being dressed in colorful clothes to being dressed in dark clothes with the black hair and makeup and all the rest of it. And that chicken incident essentially launched the Alice Cooper that became so important, so influential in the 1970s. Did he ever fess up and deny that this never happened? Or yes, all the time. Oh, oh all the time. Okay. Oh yeah, no, it, it never, ever, ever, ever happened. We have, we have a uh, film evidence of what happened. Oh wow. Oh yeah, no, he. Uh, there was a guy in the crowd, a sixteen-year-old guy named uh, Doug Clement, who had his dad's eight-millimeter uh, camera, and he just happened mm. to film when Alice threw the chicken in the air, and you can see what happened. And uh, you can see that the chicken falls into the audience and, oh, dear. Wow. And anything else happened at this show or as a result of this show? Well, there's another story that goes like this. John Lennon, like I mentioned, had terrible, terrible stage fright. Uh, and he was he was throwing up. He was also probably jonesing a little bit because he didn't have his dealer and he was a little, little light on, on, on the heroin. But he was really, really, really scared. And he was afraid of two things. First of all, he was afraid of falling flat on his face in front of his heroes. And secondly, he was afraid of falling flat on his face in front of all these people because he was a Beatle. He was John Lennon. 
So uh, Kim Fowley, the MC, decided for some reason that uh, he, he, he made the a request of the crowd. He says, listen, we want to make this a, a wonderful, peaceful welcome for John. So back then, everybody smoked. And he said, take your lighters out and put your lighters in the air like this is a, you know, like we, we light up the stadium with candles. So the lights were out. Everybody put their lighters in the air. And it was an absolutely astounding view. These little flames, you know, 20, 22,000 people uh, holding up lighters. And uh, it was enough to bring John out. And that's how they started their set. Huh. This also is the um, start, we think, of the tradition of holding up lighters or down cell phones at concerts. It started in Toronto on September 13th, 1969. Wow. wow. That's like, as you're telling the story, I'm going, okay, I said, see where you're going with this. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's fascinating. In fact, it actually sort of is a question I'd love to ask you in terms of, you know, we've, we've gone to the, the cell phones and holding that up for the light. Now um, I'd love to, because I've had conversations with, um chuck d from the, from the salads and i'm other earth and, and a bunch of other buds uh mike turner from our lady peace not about this and i'd love to get your view on the thoughts of cell phones and, and at concerts and people capturing it and taking photos versus being in the moment because there's such polarizing views on that I right think. so there's there's two ways of looking at it first of all um you know people want to have their communication devices with them wherever they go the problem is that people, for some reason, believe that they need to capture and document everything on their phones uh, for, for just in case. And, and I, I, you know, I, I can't believe that a lot of these people go back and watch these videos you know, on a small screen with bad sound. But they do it anyway because, I don't know, if it's peer pressure, it's a meme. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. Uh, then we have people like Jack White who uh, have mm -hmm. this bag, it's called a yonder bag, and you walk into the show, you uh, are given this bag, which locks your phone inside, so you can't touch it until you unlock it on your way out. And this forces people to pay attention to what's going on with the show. And uh, I, I, I kind of like that too, because for the first bit, it's like, oh, my God, what am I going to occupy, occupy myself with if I don't have my phone? But as soon as the music starts, you go, oh, OK, well, I'll, I'll watch the show. Gee, what a novel idea. <laughs> and uh, you, you find yourself sliding into the moment and, and enjoying the rock and roll show and enjoying the music and enjoying the people around you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to see Jack White this past summer. And um, I tell you, I, I kind of I, I liked it. I, I like the fact that there weren't all these knobs who were holding up their phones expecting to, I don't know what they were expecting to. It, it was just nice to see everybody doing what we used to do back in the old days before you were allowed to bring a phone into a show. Just enjoy and sit back and yeah. listen to music. But by the way, I have to, how was the big sugar? I wasn't at that show, but how was the big sugar cover? I hear it went off smashingly at the Toronto show. It, it, was, a, it was an astounding <laughs> show. It went yeah. extraordinarily well. It's yeah. Jack White. Jack knows yeah. what he's doing. He's got a crack band. And, uh, you know, he took a few liberties with um, 
some melodies. So uh, okay, a couple of lines had to go by before you realize what song he was singing. But uh, yeah, mm. it was it was good. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, to watch him play, I saw him a, f- a few years ago at Budweiser. Uh, it's like you're just watching a master. A master yeah, you really class. are. Yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. It, it is it is really really interesting. I, I wanted to not go back to this rev- to this uh, rock and roll revival, but this whole idea of you know big festivals. You know there still are some around the world, but you know to, in, in in the Toronto area, you know for many years you could go to um, you know the Edge used, used to put on shows up in Barrie. Um, I remember, you know, Virgin Fest at the islands that used to happen quite often. Right. Um, we don't see too many. Maybe I'm wrong, but. Maybe you're old. No. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, there, there are some reasons for that. First of all, they have been extra, they're extraordinarily expensive to put on. Hmm. Uh, second, uh, they, uh, the people that are involved in these things want to be paid in American dollars. Mm. There's a problem. Uh, third, it's very hard to do the rooting to get enough big acts across the border or into one place during the height of the festival music season and or the music festival season. And with so many festivals happening across the U.S. and so many festivals happening across England and so many festivals happening across Europe, it is extraordinarily difficult to book enough big acts uh, during the eight weeks that we really have of summer in Canada, <laughs> because it's it's the logistics are tough. Believe me, I mean, I, I was involved in booking Edgefest for a number of years. You have no idea uh, how frustrating it was. It, it's it, mm. it was as hard as we tried and as much as we wished. The logistics of the um, of the touring uh, business just made it impossible. Interesting. Um, because of timing, we, we have to sort of get your thoughts on when Butler and Arcade fired. I know you've written a piece mm. um, on your on your site and I, and I believe on Global as well. Yeah. Um, and Greg and I were talking about this um, prior to to recording. You know, every every time we record this podcast, I throw on a music shirt. And as I was going through my shirts, you know, there was a, an Arcade Fire Everything Now t-shirt. And I go, oh, boy. And I'm like, I don't do I wear that shirt? Is it OK to wear that shirt? Is it OK to to listen to the music? Like. And, and Greg always says, you know, we always have this conversation. Can you remove the person from the art? That is something that we've been talking about for quite some time. The first time it really showed up was with Michael Jackson. Yeah. Which is And there was this big, big debate, you know, does Michael Jackson get canceled or do we separate the art from the artist? Mm -hmm. And ultimately this becomes a personal decision. If you can do that, well, go ahead. Uh, If you can't, well, then you've got to make uh, a moral decision about whether to consume this music to, um, patronize this artist going forward. But there's a a bigger issue here in that um, rock star behavior, the Hmm. way it has been for 70 years, is no longer accepted. And uh, 
people are rightly speaking out against bad behavior. However, bad behavior is not necessarily criminal behavior. Hmm. And if bad behavior is called out, there are repercussions without due process. So you don't have an opportunity to face your accusers. You don't have an opportunity to tell your side of the story. You don't have an opportunity to defend yourself in any way because the Twitter mob has, has come for you. Mm-hmm. That's one side. The other side is, well, you know, women have been terribly abused and mistreated mm-hmm. for, for forever. And it's about time that this be, these kinds of behaviors stop. But, uh, okay, yes, agree. However, a stolen kiss, I can't see it being equated with violent rape. Hmm. It's two different things. I mean, there are degrees. There are, there, there are, are uh, shades of gray involved. And because there are all these shades of gray, and because you really, you know, can't equate, at least from a criminal point of view, equate a stolen kiss with a, with a violent rape or an unwanted hug with a violent rape or, um, you know, a touch on the leg with a violent rape. Again, I'm not defending those, those behaviors, mm-hmm. but they're, they're two different things. And um, what should, what's the appropriate punishment? Hmm especially since we're not talking about anything with perhaps there's no witnesses, perhaps there's no witnesses. There's no physical evidence. Uh, there's no one that has come forward to, you know, make a, a, um, a statement. There are no police reports. There's no police investigations. So at the way it is right now, we have, a situation where the Twitter mob is, de- is, 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 is destroying lives, destroying people as Harvey Weinstein was destroyed. And he deserved to be destroyed. The man was a pig, a predator, a sexual deviant, an ogre. But should somebody who, and I, I'm, I'm not speaking specifically of Wynn Butler here. I'm speaking about somebody who may be called out for the, for bad behavior. Harvey Weinstein engaged in criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of this other stuff, you know, it's at best ambiguous. The problem is that the Me Too, uh, the Me Too movement has everybody believing that all women should be believed, all survivors should be believed. I get that, got that. I think that's a bit too intense. I would, I would rather it be listen to women, listen to what they have to say, listen to what they say, what happened. And then we can start digging in for the truth. Again, we're not speaking about the Win Butler thing here. We're speaking about anybody who might be accused by someone online of bad behavior, not criminal behavior, but bad behavior. Hmm. Uh, and it, the, the, it gets really, really, really murky. It becomes trial by social media. Now, there are some cases where 
these sorts of things turn out to be true. You know, uh, sure. Jacob Hoggard from from Headley, for example. Yeah. Uh, that's how this started. It escalated, and uh, he was charged. And there you go. Okay, fine. But then there were other people, and I won't mention any names because I'll get people upset, who have been anonymously accused of things online and have had their careers completely ruined without being able to put up any kind of defense. But they're the, the extreme, the extreme people say, Hey, gotta believe the woman. So she must be right. Hmm. Um, and you know what? She may have been right, but we don't know because nothing there again, no evidence, no police report, no, no video, no, you know, none of those things. Uh, so it becomes a, he said, she said situation. And the, Societal pressure is to side with the woman all the time, and I understand why. And I and I you know in many 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 cases that's the right side, but then there are situations where you're kind of left wondering what really happened. Hmm. Yeah, and 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 you're right. You're right. And again, Kareem <laughs> and I have argued about this, not argued, but had discussion about this many times. Like Twitter has become this cesspool. It's become a, a, well, that's what I call it. He, he thinks it's great, but you know, I, no. and, well, the, the, the mob can come after you. It really, yeah. really can. And uh, it's, it, when it does, uh, it's, it's, it's ugly. Yeah. So let's just, one last thing I want to say, what yeah. is with the wind Butler thing, mm -hmm. you know, he says that he was these, these relationships were consensual he understands now that he hurt people. He's apologized multiple times. He's come clean uh, about you know what he says he did and what he says he thought. So here's my question. Again, we're not dealing with criminal behavior in the sense that nobody's been charged with anything, right? What's the appropriate sentence? What's the appropriate punishment? Hmm. Total cancellation like Harvey, uh, like Harvey Weinstein or something else? It's so complicated. It is so emotionally fraught. And it is something that we are not going to be able to solve here. Yeah. Fair enough. They, they continue to tour and, and, you know, by all accounts, people are going, people are enjoying themselves. Obviously, you know, there, there are those who have, you know, refused to attend and, you know, are looking to get refunds and so on. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, over the next year or so what happens. Yeah, uh, you know, will this blow over? Will uh, and it's really tough with with uh, um, Arcade Fire because they've been such a, a band of the people, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, with their yeah. philanthropic efforts and and all kinds of other things. Um, so, you know, how much how much damage has this caused? How much? Um, and, and how much rehabilitation is going to be required? Will it be possible to to fix it? I, I don't know. We will see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about mobs, I don't know if this is a good segue or not. There's <laughs> there's the mob that hates Nickelback. Yes. And when when I first heard of this, I was like, what? I mean, they've got some really catchy rock songs. I don't I don't particularly mind them. I think they're really good. 
and they sell millions of albums. They sell out everywhere, everywhere they go. Um, and so I thought, I, you know, you had written about, a, I, I guess they've got a new release that came out that you thought was really good. And then I went down a YouTube rabbit hole of uh, trying to find out, you know, <laughs> where, where this all started. Um, why, why are they the most disliked? Guilty pleasure. Sorry. Uh, we, don't, we don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know. There's a, a Nickelback documentary uh, coming out next year. And I'm actually in the documentary okay. defending Nickelback and saying that, you know what, this is, this, it doesn't make any sense because they are a successful mainstream rock band with that have sold 50 million records. They have fans all the way around the world, but some, some critics uh, or some people in the cheap seats took some shots those shots stuck, and now they've become a punchline. And I, it, 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 they're, they're not worthy of it. They, they really, it, it's, it's unfair. And um, I can appreciate Nickelback for what they are, a good, solid, good time, arena rock band who know how to write some really catchy songs. Yeah. Um, I won't make fun of them. I, I think I think the best way to go through everything is to go through life is respect all music. Listen to what you want. Yeah. But the, the idea of taking pot shots, yeah. you know, I, and I, listen, I was guilty. Oh man, I was such a music snob, and and I would I would have no trouble telling you that your musical taste sucked and your band sucked and all that. And then I, I after a while, I got a little bit more uh, mature, maybe, and decided that no, that's that's not the way to do it. Everybody, everybody's artist is somebody's favorite. Yeah. So who am I to tell them what's good and what's not? And uh, again, you know, listen to what you want and leave everybody else to it. Yep, absolutely. Yep, yep. totally agree. Um, I, I'm recognizing we are at uh, 40 minutes past. I'm not sure how much more time, Alan, we could have of yours. <laughs> but uh, I, I, we will continue to go until you give us a signal. Okay. Uh, fair enough. Okay, awesome. Um, you know, as you were talking, this sort of, you know, pop, popped into my head. Um, you know, I was downtown this weekend. Tiff is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, as, uh, along with thousands of other teens, screamed when uh, Harry Styles came out oh, and waved. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally digging his music. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Harry's music. Um, a lot of people have, you know, are using, you know, David Bowie to sort of um, help define who Harry Styles is. What, do, what are your thoughts on, on Harry? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I see the, the Bowie comparison. Um, although he's got a long way to go, yes. <laughs> David Bowie. But um, understand that that music, you know, popular music is of the moment, and there are many Harry Style fans who have no idea of anything that came before. Yeah. So it is all new to them, and this is all really exciting. Remember that youth is always the driver of popular culture, especially music. And um, it's just a matter of, of taste, I suppose, or, or it's a matter of what you know. 
if 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 Harry Styles is brand new to you and what he's doing has never been seen before as far as you're concerned, well then fine. Um, and remember too that he has a tremendous PR team behind him, mm-hmm. and uh, they are going to do everything they possibly can to blow him up because there's a lot of money to be made. Yeah. But this, but this, this album is like, and again, I'm, I, I can't believe the amount of times I'm listening to Harry Styles over the last few months. This album is a, an amazing pop album. Like it is catchy. It's the hooks. It's, and it's crossing over as well. It seems to be like, I mean, the fact that indie and, and, and even the edge or, or CFNY are playing it. Like it's. Yeah, when it comes to something like this, you know, there, there's also one of, of of image of the artist. Does mm-hmm. that uh, does the artist's image jive line up with the image of the radio station or the other artists that are being played on the radio station? And you know, there was discussion about you know playing Harry Styles, but it's yeah, you know, it didn't work. It you know you you it mm-hmm. just didn't feel right for him to be and that was from a from a dispassionate point of view it just didn't feel right to have him on the same station as project fair enough <laughs> fair enough um i don't know how to ask this question other than just to blurt it out and ask it um when 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 does radio play its final song like when is it finally going to die or, or, or is it's it not, not? It's not. No, it won't. And I'll tell you why. Sure. Uh, it's because radio continues to be very popular, very powerful, very profitable. The issue okay. is that uh, it has much more competition than it's ever had before. But at the same time, it the radio industry is very, very, very good at creating audio entertainment, which hmm. is maybe what maybe radio needs to be redefined. It's not AM or FM. It is uh audio entertainment okay so what what the current radio industry has to do is evolve to the to um um has to evolve to meet the needs of the digital generation and there are many things that are happening right now where we're trying to figure that out the problem is that because radio continues to work well in its current form which is the form that's been around in for a hundred years, uh, we got to be very careful about the changes we make. It's and I've used this analogy a thousand times. It's like changing the wings on an airplane that's flying at thirty-eight thousand feet. You have mm-hmm. to do it, but you got to do it carefully. Yeah. <laughs> you know, see, so nothing crashes. Yeah. And the the one of the things that that we're watching very closely is the march of technology. So, all right. Radio has been broadcast through AM and FM for, for decades. Who's to say that radio will be broadcast through another distribution system mm-hmm. like 5G or 6G? And if that's the case, well, then maybe it becomes more interactive, more two-way, more on demand. Okay, how? Well, you're going to need uh, a new interface between you and the radio station. Like right now, you turn on the radio and you either accept what comes out of the speakers or you don't. There's no way for you to 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 make any sort of it's not customizable by the end user. Uh, with new technology, maybe it will be, but it'll be a far cry from, you know, turning on the radio and just letting the music 
uh, wash over you without any sort of input from you. That's uh, it's well said. And, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of terrestrial radio. I, you know, I've argued with numerous people over the years. I, you know, I wouldn't, I remember my wife was taking me out to AJR and, and if I didn't listen to the radio, I wouldn't have realized that uh, um, Rob DeLong, Rob DeLong, Tom DeLong, Rob DeLong, not, not the Blink-182. Anyway, that he was opening up. So I was able to get to the show in time to see him, and I was so excited about that, which was awesome. Um, so flipping it from, from the technology side, going back to old school, one of the segments that we have uh, that we often ask our guests about is lost venues. And it's about you know venues that don't necessarily exist today, but their importance to our, to yourself. And so what I'd love to ask you is, do you have a, a lost venue that you'd love to share with us? Oh, there's, there's a lot of lost <laughs> venues in, in, in Toronto. Um, you know, I think about the warehouse, I think about mm -hmm. RPM, I think about, um, factory. That was more of a dance club, the big Bop. That was another one. Uh, and there are all these small ones that that disappeared before I had a chance to get to them, like uh, Larry's Hideaway and the Edge, and, and, and so on. So yeah, it's it's um, the, the the nightclub business is one that goes in cycles. In many cases, you can't predict the cycles, nor can you you know uh, fix them. I mean, at one point, you know, the radio station was doing four live to airs a week because people were going out and dancing to yeah. alternative music. And then they stopped and I don't know why they just stopped. They stopped going to the clubs. One of the things that is um, a theory and we can discuss this as much as you like. The theory is that social media and dating apps like Tinder did a lot to mm -hmm. kill the dating business because you never have you know, the club business because you didn't have to go to a club anymore. You didn't have to stand in line in the cold. You didn't have to deal with a you know a, a stupid bouncer. You didn't have to deal with with uh, expensive drinks. You could do everything from home and uh, save all the hassle with the parking and everything else. Um, again, smartphones have made us you know much much more um, insular. Mm -hmm. uh, and and we're we're maybe not interested in going, or the current generation is, is not interested in going out into crowds. Uh, I read something the the other day that uh, you know a guy asked a bunch of, of young people, uh, "Have you ever sat and listened to music with friends?" And they go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." When we go to a show, uh, have you sat and listened to music with friends just hanging around a house? And nobody put up their hands. Huh. So the consumption of music has become, unless it's live, the consumption of music has become a very individual thing. Yes. And uh, that, I think, has contributed to the uh, the death of the alt-rock dance club. I mean, there are still dance clubs, you know, the you know, hip-hop and, and pop and, and EDM and all that sort of stuff. That sort of stuff, the, the, the live, for, for many of these things, the, the, the communal aspect of dancing together with strangers is an important part of the culture. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't as important to the culture of alt rock. Interesting. Uh, mm. 
I think this will be our, our last question, Alan, um, recognizing the time. And thank you again for, for being yes. our guest today. Really appreciate it. Um, how did you get started in all of this? In, like, what, in was, what? In what specifically? <laughs> in, in, in music, in the history of music, in... Um, oh, in, in God, this is a very... Okay. Here's a, it's a long... Okay, I'll try and... It's a very long answer, but I'll try and make it short. You I can keep it long if you like, but go ahead. I, I, I got into radio because my grandmother gave me a transistor radio for my sixth birthday. And I became entranced with this thing. Then a few years later, my uncle, who was working for the Manitoba Telephone System, had a side hustle servicing jukeboxes. One Saturday, we went over to his house. He had just done his route, and he had a whole bunch of records that he had taken out of the jukeboxes. They were old and worn, so he was going to throw them out unless I wanted them. I thought, okay, I'll take them. And growing up in a small prairie town, when you're good in school and bad at hockey, you're not the most popular, coolest kid. <laughs> so I discovered that maybe by being the music nerd, I could keep myself from getting beaten up quite as often. And that's what I ended up doing. It turned out that, you know, music is one of those things that you use to project your identity to the rest of the world so they know who you are. Yep. And I learned that really, really early. And I just kind of kept with it. I had also decided that I wanted to get into radio, but I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I didn't want to be a you know long-haired dope-smoking DJ. I thought that was beneath me. <laughs> um, so I went through university, and I ended up as a, a job in, in, in Kenora, Ontario, and I was offered the opportunity to be a newsroom, and I jumped at it, and I hated it. It's 23 days. I absolutely hated it. Fortunately, I was rescued by another job offer at a radio station called KX96 in Brandon, Manitoba, a station that was far, far cooler than a city of 35,000 people had a right to have. And I was back to being on FM. I was back to um, playing records and talking about them. And through... I did. I worked there for a while. Then I moved to Winnipeg for a while. Then I ended up in Toronto. And the, the the music nerd thing really took off in 1992, late 92, when we had new management at the radio station. And uh, they decided that instead of flipping the station to country, we were going to stick with the alternative format, except that we're going to do it right. We're not going to be holy, you know, this holier than thou, cooler than thou. Uh, we would need a radio program that would put all this music into context. So they looked around and they found exactly one person on staff with a history degree, which was me. And they said, you're going to do it. And the show is going to be called The Ongoing History of New Music. Wow. And I said, no, I, I, I don't want to do it. And that's a stupid thing for a radio show. And they said, okay, that's fine. Here's your package. Best of luck in your future endeavors. What? Oh, okay. If you put it that way. <laughs> um, so I accepted the assignment and it is, uh, let's just say it was really, 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 really hard at the beginning because this is pre-internet. This was still quite early in alternative music history. There were no books um, all I had was press releases and some newspaper clippings and whatever else I could co cobble together. 
And uh, I started from there. But I had decided that I had just gotten married. I had just built a house. Uh, I had to do, I didn't have a lot of portable skills. So I had to make lemonade out of these lemons. And that's, that's, I guess, what I've done. Because had it not been for this opportunity that was presented to me, <laughs> Uh, we wouldn't be talking right now. We we honestly, honestly wouldn't. Um, and I got lucky in terms of timing. I got lucky in terms of demographics. I got lucky in terms of uh, musical cycles. I got lucky in terms of technology. I got lucky in terms of the radio industry. Um, and I could have never, ever, ever in a billion years predicted that I'd be doing this this many these many years later. Well, Alan, I have to, I have to say, so I have, I have four 20 somethings. We're Brady Bunch two and two. And, um, I just want to say on behalf of them, my wife, Kelly and myself, who we actually <laughs> do when we get together, we do sit down and put on music and like everybody shares what they're listening to. And we actually, we, we love to do that as a family. We go to a lot of live shows together and, and we, we, we download when we're driving to Killington, we download episodes of the ongoing history and we'll all listen to them together for hours. So I just want to say on behalf, I got goosebumps again on behalf of my family. Thank you for, for doing what you were as your opportunity to do as, it, as our, our family loves it. So thank you. Well, thank you. And it's interesting that the people that put me through that hell back in 1992 and early 1993, they're either out of the business or dead. So <laughs> well, I win. You win. You there you go. Alan Cross has been our guest. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. His website, a journal of musical things.com and his uh, podcast, uh, his show, his, uh, his project that he's still working on the ongoing history of new music. Uh, you can find that uh, uh, on the radio and you can also find it uh, in your favorite uh, podcast player. Thank you so much, Alan, for this. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for the interest. Take care. See you.